BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. If you are interested in your health and well-being, you've probably heard about our gut microbiome and how important it is to support a resilient immune system. Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for its benefits. Get the real deal by visiting seed.com slash raising and use the code raising to redeem 25% off your first month of seeds DS-01 daily symbiotic. That's seed.com slash raising and use the code raising. Gut health is on its way. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today's episode was so fun and frankly riveting for me. I am joined by Dr. Emily Morris. She's a doctor of human sexuality. She's authored a best-selling book, Hot Sex, Over 200 Things You Can Try Tonight. She has a pioneering masterclass on sex and communication. She is the host of the number one sexuality podcast, Sex with Emily. And she just has such candid conversations about things that are so taboo. She just published a book out now, Smart Sex How to Boost Your Sex IQ and Own Your Pleasure. And here's our conversation it's about the reality of sex after kids and what you can do to reconnect, to find your sexual pleasure again and your sexual connection again. And we really get into it because what is the point of having this conversation if we don't? If you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And of course, DM me with any questions and I will answer them either on Instagram or on my newsletter, drlisapressman.substack.com. And a warning, this is for sure not an episode for your kids to overhear in the car. <laughs> so please no little ears for this one. This is definitely an adult conversation, but enjoy it in the privacy of your own ears and not your kids. And thank you for listening. I'm going to start this conversation with a scenario of a friend of mine, because I don't think it's that wild. She said to me, at what point can we just say we're done with this? And I was like, and it's quite different for me, but I don't think what she said is uncommon. And in fact, she said it to a whole table of women. Like, when can we just be done with this and admit that we love each other and that we are partners, but that this whole sex thing is just a time to say goodbye to. And I was like, this can't be right. So we're going to ask Emily. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. Like enough with the sex. Are we done? We've done it. Check it out. Let's move on. I totally get that. And that is so common. I mean, I've heard variations of that for sure. And there are so many, so many reasons for that. Like, let me just reframe this. Like, we we definitely want sex if it was enjoyable, right? Like, right. it felt and pleasurable, and we could feel more connected. Like, the intent of sex is to be intimate with our partner, to keep the connection going, to feel good, to have pleasure. And then, if we don't have sex, we're as roommates. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. really the different factor. 
But I think what's happened with sex and what is like my mission being a sex educator is that I really, I really want to teach people, you know, my, like I tell you, my, my podcast, Sex with Emily, it's half men, half women, because like we all really need to learn. But I think that, well, first off, sex, there's so many ways to go, but sex has been so centered on penetration for so long because it's about procreation and religion or the patriarchy or whatever it is. That's what sex is. But for the majority of women, they're not having pleasure, the most pleasure from penetration. And when they do penetrative sex, because it's just easy, it's like, get over it. It's like <laughs> partners pop away like a jackhammer, rolls over, it's over. We've had zero pleasure. It's exhausting. We'd rather just like fake sleep. <laughs> and so I think we get an understanding that, that, that for women, pleasure comes in different ways. It could be oral sex. It could be touching. It could be erotic massage. It could be just understanding our arousal runway and what turns us on. You know, for men, and this is the other thing. So another misunderstanding is that that's how women have pleasure with anything. We're talking about heterosexual couples here, obviously, but there is something called the orgasm gap. And that is a very real thing. And it really means two things. The first thing is that in every sexual situation, 99.9%, a man is going to have an orgasm and they're going to have pleasure. For straight women, it plummets to like 50%. We're going to have pleasure and orgasm. Now for lesbian couples, same sex women and lesbian couples, they have more orgasms and more pleasure, right? Because they understand the parts and they understand. So that's the orgasm gap, number one. But number two, you talked about we don't have enough time and all the things. The other part of the orgasm gap is that men are going to orgasm between anywhere between like eight and 12 minutes and women are going to take between 20 and 40 minutes. But who has time for that? Right. <laughs> right. With kids and life and you're exhausted. And so this is really understandable. And so mostly what I do is I kind of teach these different hacks. I don't love that word when I'm talking about sexuality, but it's true. Like how do we reverse engineer our arousal, our desire to understand? Yeah. I know I, I might be done with sex. I get it. But I got to make it happen because I love my partner and I want to be happy. And of course, I'd love pleasure if I knew how. So I love talking to women about how we can start to understand who we are as sexual beings and how we become responsible for our own and our own best advocates for pleasure and desire and arousal. Okay, so let's do that. I'm so in. <laughs> so how can women find that? Because you're absolutely right. And I'm kind of blown away by the, that gap. It's so, it's so crazy. And you're absolutely right. I think that the majority of times, particularly when you have younger children, but certainly then you have older children, but maybe you're going through perimenopause or menopause and like so many different things happen. I'm sure that the idea of thinking, oh my God, it's going to be 20 to 40 minutes, forget it. <laughs> like, let's just do this and be done. And then you have this association that isn't filled with connection and pleasure. So what can women do to figure, and it's not that, you know, we can certainly think about men and non-binary, but I really, I know for mothers, this is a big thing. And if we can figure out how to find a way to you know, I hate to use the word hacks, but find those hacks. I think that would be a real gift. Yeah. So the first thing we would be understanding what does get us in the mood for sex? Like what, what actually does turn us on? So I actually, okay. So I just wrote this book, which we're going to talk about, which is smart sex. And when I was writing this book, it was like, so it was 20 years of giving people sex tips, right? Tips and quizzes, like here's your best toy and here's your best lube. And I can help people figure out the right position. But the truth is sex is holistic. And there's fundamental pillars. I wrote about these five pillars to sexual intelligence. And we really need to understand ourselves as sexual beings. And so, so one of the pillars, and I can just start there about for women is understanding is self-knowledge. And that's understanding when am I aroused and turned on? For example, if I had to ask you, when was the last time you felt turned on? There's some really interesting, it's almost like your arousal DNA is in there. What was happening before that? Why were you on vacation? We hear that all the time. Did you have a glass of wine? Were you, right? Was there the kids away at camp? Was it in the middle of the day when you had no, you know, like it was like a surprise, like your partner surprised you somewhere. A lot of times just surprise element. So what were all the things that happening, right? So think about that. And what, and do you know about yourself that you might need? So that's one thing, just understanding your sexual history. Like I know that these things need to be present for me to be aroused. It's also like, you know, I often say, foreplay starts at last orgasm or foreplay all day. Like, does it help? For some people it does. And the understanding, and I have something in the book called Our Desire Styles, 
understanding like, what do you need to feel connected? Do you need a sexy text in the middle of the day? Do you need to feel more connected? Do you want to go out to dinner and have a great conversation with your partner or watch a movie and discuss it after? Do you want to go on a hike with them so your adrenaline's really spiked? Do you need to have an experience together? Like, what are all the things that help get that contribute towards you being a little bit more turned on and aroused, right? So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is like knowing like what your environment needs to be like. Does the laundry have to be put away? Do you need it to be a certain temperature? Do the sheets have to be clean, right? Like all the, do you need to have worked out that day? How are you feeling in your body? And that goes to another pillar that's self-acceptance. Because all of these things are going to contribute to your arousal. So I'm just going to throw some things out there, but these are all the considering factors. And it's not to overwhelm people. It's just because I think that so many times we just throw our hands up in the air. I'm done. I'm done with sex. Like we're talking about her. I have no idea why I was aroused Tuesday and not Saturday. So I'm just going to give people some things to think about here. So then like when I talk about self-acceptance, that's really confidence. Do I, am I accepting my body as it is today? Do I accept it? Like it's not what it once was, or it's not great, or I ate too much, or I don't know my thighs. Do I accept my experience level? You know, a lot of times we're worried that our partner has more experience or whatever. Do I just accept that? And that is a process. That is a journey. I think self-confidence is a daily practice sometimes. And I give a lot of tips and, you know, I talk about that a lot about different things we could do to become, you know, more confident and how our partner can maybe help us. Sometimes maybe it's, we need to hear words from our partner. I just did a podcast about this yesterday and it occurred to me, it was about a certain kink, which is, we'll get to a phrase kink that people have, like, they want to hear compliments from a partner to turn them on. I want to hear more about that, but we'll get to it. Exactly. (laughs) But praise kink, I was like, well, what if, like, we just like compliments. Like, I know that my partner tells me all the time, like, babe, you're so hot. I love the way you look. Like you look so great in the bedroom. And when he sees me just now walk down the hall, he's like, oh, I love that. And I thought, you know, that is, I don't know that I don't have the kink around it, but it really helps to have a partner that's like celebrating you and telling you, right? And then there's other things about like looking in the mirror and having affirmation journals about your body. And so that's, that's, that's another part of our arousal, right? And then there's our health, our overall health and wellness, our mental health and our physical health. So here's the thing we just we mentioned perimenopause, right? Or hormones. So here we are, like kids are getting older. They take care of themselves. We might have more time. And now our estrogen and all of our hormones have plummeted, right? And now we're like not really in the mood before because of that. And our vagina is dry and pain, sex can be painful. So that's a bummer. But if we know that, then we can find some, you know, a doctor who specializes in it and who can talk to us about, you know, hormone replacement therapy. And other things that we can do, like my one of my missions is literally a lube on every nightstand. Do not have sex or any kind of sex without a great lube, but also hormones helps. Are we exercising? Are we eating the right foods? Because arousal, you know, our clitoris becomes more engorged when we have good blood flow. So are we exercising? Are we eating healthy foods? All of these things are going into arousal, right? And our mental health. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor. I think we all know how I feel about cooking. It's something I do begrudgingly, but I'm so into my caraway cookware because it's not that I don't like cooking. It's that I don't like cleaning. (laughs) I don't like cleaning a bunch of pans after. So caraway is this non-toxic chemical-free cookware that still not only looks really chic and awesome and has beautiful food storage and tea kettles to boot, but it also has a coating that makes it easy for cooking and cleanup, but the non-toxic kind, because a lot of those non-stick pans and cookware are actually quite toxic. So this means you can food prep with peace of mind and everything looks awesome. They just look so good and work so well. And you can now save 10% off the full suite of Caraway products from their internet famous cookware to their food storage set. And then cooking is kind of a pleasure. Visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 to get 10% off during their summer refresh event. Certain exclusions do apply. That's carawayhome.com slash humans10 or use the code humans10 at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Did you know that Around 75% of consumers greatly overestimate the cost of a life insurance policy. In reality, it could be as low as $20 to $30 a month based on what type of coverage you need. And 
Of course, we all want to make sure that our loved ones are cared for no matter what happens. And you can do so and do so in a much easier and more cost-effective way with Quility. Quility was co-founded by a working mom and partner, so they get it. Life is busy. Raising good humans is chaotic. But Quility makes it easy to apply and like just go through this whole process, which is so daunting. They make it easy to apply from anywhere. You just need Wi-Fi. You could be in the carpool pickup line. You could be on your way to the office. You could be on a daily walk around the neighborhood. Life insurance doesn't have to be something to avoid, and it is something that you can do in a cost-effective, easy way just to make sure that you've taken care of any circumstances that are unforeseen. It's just one of those responsibilities that we have when we become parents. Quility has created a special life insurance guide just for Raising Good Humans listeners. So visit quility.com slash humans to learn more and match with your perfect policy. That's Q-U-I-L-I-T-Y dot com slash humans for more information. What are you waiting for? I have a question. Yes. You just said that lube needs to be on every nightstand. So here's my question. Because I grew up in an era, and maybe you didn't have this experience, but ingrained in my experience was for sure that lube was like either because there was a problem or because there was a kinky thing happening, but it was definitely not just like every nightstand should have it. Now, I don't know if that was like my particular experience or if that was the 80s and 90s. I have no idea, but I'm interested because when you said that, I kind of perked up and was like, wait a second, really? No, I, I'm so with you. I That was my experience too. And here's the sad thing, and this is why I still do, I do what I do every day. Still, it's still a stigma. In 2023, people still think that if you have to use lube, there's a problem. It's it must first of all they think it's a problem. So for women, we're like, well, I'm not turned on. I'm I'm not not turned on enough, right? Right. And then for men, they're like, oh my god, if we use a lube, that means that I didn't turn you on enough. I didn't do my job. But the truth is, I want people to reconsider lube because there have been so many studies that have shown this so well. In fact, Kinsey Institute did a study. It showed that when you add a few drops of lube to any sexual situation, that women are more 80% more likely to orgasm. Wow. Because it's just an added, it's, it's safety. It's almost like you're wearing, I think of lube this way. Because some people are like, well, you know, for example, you can be really wet and not turned on. Or you can be really turned on and not wet. Or we're wet at the beginning, but we're not wet 10 minutes later. It's a safety measure. So think of it like wearing sunblock when it's cloudy outside and you're like, oh, I can still get a tan. I can still get burned. Same thing goes for lube. You can get tears. You can have get infections. You know, if you if you're too dry, and so I just use it as safety. Like I, it's been for years. I had to learn this, you know, through my practice. But I just, I literally, I love lube. I would love to take the stigma out of it. And I've never, in all these years, and any, we're talking masturbation, hand jobs, oral sex, whatever you're doing, it just makes everything feel better. Like a penis feels loves the lube. Like I've never had. So yes, this is a stigma. You're so right to ask this. But in all my years, I've been doing this almost 20 years. I've never had a partner who was like, what do you, like, after they Why did you do that? They're like, that's like, don't ever leave home without the lube. Have the lube all the time. If you are not using birth control and you have this opportunity to use any lube in the world, what do you recommend? Well, if you are a woman who could be, who's sensitive to lube, I actually am the chief sexologist and I've worked to create a lube called Playground. And I'm going to send you some. I was actually going to give you some. We were able to meet up here in LA, but I will send you some playground lube. And why I love it is because a lot of lube has been made by men for men. The lube you buy at the drugstore, which does not have the best ingredients. So women can get infections, oh, can get bacterial yeah. infections. This lube by playground has these ingredients that when I met the women who were making this, it's made, but you know, I was like, I'm blown away because it has like black cohosh, ashwagandha. It's water-based. It's vegan. It's in a really adorable bottle with a flip top and it has essences, not scents, and it tastes great. And I, I love this loop. That's playground. So that's a great one for water-based. You can use I will I will put that in the show notes, guys. <laughs> okay. Put a link to the show notes. So that's one thing. And then the other thing, I also love silicone loop. Silicone loop has one ingredient. And what do I love? Silicone. I love Uber Lube. That's another brand. And you can also go to my website, 
sexwithemily.com. We just launched a store after all these years. I was like, I'm just going to put the things that I recommend all the time and I love. So you can go to the store and check that out. Uber Lube is fantastic. It comes in a beautiful glass bottle. If you have kids, no one knows it looks like. Same with Playground. But Uber Lube came on the market. It's one ingredient, silicone. If you don't have any allergic reactions to it, it lasts longer. That's what's great. You don't have to keep reapplying it. And it mimics natural lubrication. So I think Uber Lube is fantastic. And in fact, you know, it's funny. The New York Times did a piece yesterday about new lubes coming out and how they look great on your nightstand, which I'm like, I've been talking about this for so many years, which I love. So no, lube is just, again, it just, and it looks pretty. If you have Uber Lube, it's just, I know it's funny to talk about, but I, I, I have to say it's one of the top things. I've had millions of listeners, people all the time. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you for the lube. Wow. <laughs> Not in like, you know, oral sex tips probably, but so I love the lube too. You can have oral sex with these lubes? Yes. I prefer Playground over the, the silicone lubes don't taste as good, but there's also flavor lubes. So I sell this wonderful flavor lube by System Joe on my website. And this is not your like grandfather's flavor lube. I don't know what they are. <laughs> Our generation's old, like strawberry lube. It means that grandfather's the wrong thing. But this lube is by System Joe and it tastes like, it's like creme brulee, chocolate, mint chocolate. It's just delicious. And it tastes, and it's really, it's like a pump. I have it by my bed. Like I literally like taste it. It's great for oral sex. Oh my God. And it doesn't, ha- it has really good ingredients as well. Okay. You're going to get a care package. I'm so- <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So now the other thing that I think about lube is like, is it going to give the impression that foreplay is not necessary? Well, that's a great point. But I think first we have to have the conversations about it, but I think I, I use it for foreplay. I use it for oral sex. I use it for, oral, yeah, I, I use it for touching. I use it for whenever my partner touches me with her fingers. Like there's always like, I'm just trained. I'm like, he doesn't, like why? It's dry. Make sure your hands are clean, but it just feels better. Mm-hmm. Because also your clitoris is not self-lubricating. And if that's where all the magic's going to happen anyway, and we're trying to not center so much on penetration. Yeah. And I'm talking like a few drops. I'm talking like, I'm not talking a, like a few <laughs> drops. When you get touched on your fingertips and you rub it a little bit, game changer. It gets me going right away. Okay. So bringing in the lube for everybody's nightstand and figuring out the things that you need to do in your day to sort of set you up to feel even open to a sexual encounter at all. And what about figuring out how to communicate with your partner? Like what if someone's listening and they're like, okay, fine. I won't give up on sex but I don't even know how to broach the subject with my partner without them feeling hurt or feeling Mm -hmm. rejected because I'm saying something's not working, but I'd love to figure this out. Okay. So this is a great question too. This is, so this is another one of the pillars, which is collaboration and that's communication really. And at the end of the day, great sex is not about any moves, your body, even your physiology or hormones. It's really about great communication. And so I spend a lot of time talking about communication. I always say communication is lubrication <laughs> to tie right. it all in together. Yeah. But lubrication is also lubrication. But the more we talk about sex and we learn to talk about sex, the better sex we're going to have, period. However, the question you just asked is the main question I get asked all the time. They're like, okay, I hear you, but I have no idea how you broach the subject of sex with my partner. You know, many times we've been together for 10, 20 years. We have children. We've done every sex act. And I literally don't know how to get the words out of my mouth. So I have a lot of, we can go into it. I have a lot of great, like easy tips and scripts. And the book, my book is Smart Sex is filled with scripts, but I can give you some. Yeah, everyone's going to go out and get this book and eat yeah, it up. It's, I hope, I think so. I mean, I think that people are just, I want this to be like your sex Bible because I know. So exactly what you said. If I bring up sex to my partner, I'm going to offend them. They're going to feel like they're doing something wrong. I actually don't really know what's wrong and what to say. I just know there's like, he's opened the conversation. There's a general discontent. What if we can never solve this problem? Like talking about it doesn't mean I got to fix it. Cause I was really happy. i be opting out of sex forever. And now I got to talk. It, it's confusing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like fraught. Right. Do I so, even have bandwidth for like opening up this conversation? Right. Exactly. So I think the first thing is to recognize that, yes, it might be very uncomfortable and your partner might, it might be sort of shocking that you're bringing it up. But once we know that going into it, you can say that. I think that the, I have these three T's of communication that I've talked about a lot. I know it's helped people and it's timing, turf and tone, and it helps with any awkward conversation or any conversation about sex. And the timing is really just when it's a good time. Like you don't want to have it in the bedroom. I often say it's not when you're halt. 
hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. It's, you know, when it's a good time, like, oh, we're going to have a conversation. It's going to feel good. We're on date night. And the tone is curious and compassionate and open and exploratory, not judgmental, not negative, not you never go down on me. You never initiate sex. Like that's not going to go anywhere. And then our turf is outside the bedroom. Our turf is when we are going on a road trip, we are driving, we are walking, we are doing something together. And I say that because it's still intimate, but you don't necessarily have to make eye contact. And so those are the, those are the three ground rules. And then you just say, hey, you know what? I want to talk to you about something. I was listening to this, you know, great podcast, this conversation, whatever it is. And I realized, you know, that this is conversation on sex, something that we've never really talked about. And I've heard that couples who really, really get into it and talk about it in ways that I don't even know either. I'd love to explore together that they start to understand each other, better sex, greater intimacy. Would you be willing to figure out a way that we can become great, best lovers to each other through, you know, talking about sex? Are you open to it? You know, and you might have a partner who says, what'd you see? What'd you hear? What do you mean? Are you unhappy? What do you want? Like that could happen too. But you say, no, I thought this might happen. I, I don't know. You know, and then you get through that. You're like, okay, we're going to talk about sex. Like, let's go. And then, you know, you could talk about what's working in your sex life. Like, what do you love about it? What are the three most memorable times you've had sex with each other? Is it great? Easy, easy. Like, oh, tonight, over a glass of wine. Like, mm. You're listening to this. This is what you, tonight. Like, what do we love? Well, where were we? What were we doing? And I think couples, we talk about foreplay. This is foreplay. This is actually a really fun thing. I've got to tell you that it can be awkward, but over time, and it takes pretty quick, you get clearer that your partner's okay with it. It becomes like actually really fun and you look forward to it. And you won't have any of the awkwardness and the weirdness and you'll know when sex is going to happen because you can learn that it's okay to schedule sex. It's okay to and teach you how to say no to sex, but how to find out when you might want to have sex. And so there's all these ways to kind of work around it. And I, I know that, you know, couples who talk about it have that better, you know, have better sex and finding out what you love about sex is sort of, there's a lot of like important information in there. You figure out what was hot to you, the hottest times. There's like, I would say it's like your sexual DNA for arousal. What was happening? What did I like? And just learning about each other. And then I have a bunch of different things like these 69 questions you can ask each other about favorite positions and turn-ons and games and I try to make it easy for couples because I know that it's hard. So I have a yes, no, maybe list on my site, which lists like 80 sex acts and you can take it together. It's interactive. You can take it online and it has, you know, dirty talk. Is it a yes? Is it a no? Is it a maybe? You know, taking a bath together, you know, then kinkier stuff. And then you look at your yeses. You're going to have some yeses. You're like, I didn't know you liked spanking. I've been wanting to be spanked. Okay, let's, you know, so it just, it just ways to kind of, Give, get you going so you can start to think of more things because what happens in these relationships is we just become bored, becomes the roads, becomes the same thing over time. And we need something kind of new and fun to, to stimulate the sex life again. It is so, as you pointed out, like it is so wild that like you can have children with someone and like see the craziest stuff and be partnered for eons. And this is still uncomfortable to talk about. And I think one of the things I also hear a lot about is like, is talking going to ruin it? And I think you have changed the narrative on that one for decades, but I would love for you to just sort of expand on what you've said about that communication, because I wonder not only the conversations about all the things that might, you might be up for, or let's figure this out, but also just generally talking about sex. Is that going to minimize the mystery or diminish the excitement, it sounds to me like it's not, but there mm -hmm. is something in some, it, there must be something culturally that has made some people feel like zipping, zipping their lips because it's not talked about amongst a lot of couples. Exactly. The problem is that we don't hear healthy models. We don't have a lot of great role models of people talking about sex. And so and we do, like, we don't have, we don't, most people, so what I'm talking about now is like very, most people don't have these conversations. Like I can tell you that I, and I would even say that 98% of couples probably don't have these kind of conversations I'm talking about. So if anyone's feeling like you're oh, not alone. Great to know, right? Yeah. Like for like everybody my, to my, hear this and know that you're not yeah. like alone here. No, you're really not. And I, and I think that it could, because it's challenging I me, mean, this has been, and I know that like my listeners do my podcast, they tell me. It works and I get the emails and all that, but I think it's, it's very rare. So just know that. 
And there's many, many reasons. Well, first is that, again, society, it's not normalized. We don't know how to do it. There's fear around it. What if I don't know what to, all the things I just covered? But the other thing is this. So I'm going to I'm going to say something here, which is not going to be a popular, but this whole mystery and excitement and we're taking it away is kind of not real. It's sort of at the beginning of any relationship. The honeymoon phase is an actual biological condition. And when you're with somebody for, for new, you know, it lasts about six months to two years. And we can track this over time. It's like it's going to you have the spike in all the feel good chemicals and everything feels amazing. And it's the, the best thing. You can't wait to rip each other's clothes off. You know, but like everything that feels really great like that, you have a spike and you come down. And the problem is when they, you have to come down, and I don't mean it has to be like just flatline, but couples don't really know. And then they're chasing that high where literally they look at the brainwave patterns of people falling in love and lust and the limerence phase and people on like cocaine. And it's very similar. Right. So so to know that you're literally a high on a drug, the, the best drug in the world, that's no longer feeling through your, your veins anymore. So now you have to get creative. And and this whole notion that once we talk about it, it takes the mystery and the excitement away is like not really it isn't really a thing because it's that mystery and excitement you're gonna be waiting for a long time. Right. It's just <laughs> it's just like it, it's really hard to do unless you're like on vacation, you've got a lot of time to think about it. Like it's just hard. So what I love about talking about it and what I love about scheduling sex, for example, here's one thing. And people are like, well, scheduling sex is like the boringest thing ever. Like I'm going to look at like pick up kids at soccer practice, like get the dry cleaning, have sex with my partner, like really like on the calendar. Yeah. And I'll tell you why it works though, is because like, think about it this way. Think about the people who don't want to have sex. So maybe their partner's trying on Monday night, you reject them. Then Tuesday night, you reject them. And then you're feeling bad and your partner's, you know, because there's a lot that goes into it. When we're saying no all the time, then they start feeling something's wrong with them. And then that impacts their self-confidence and it just becomes a mess. But if you know Saturday night is date night, you're definitely having sex on Saturday night. Well, then some of this conversation I'm talking about, you build up towards that. And then you have the week to think it's happening on Saturday. I'm going to shave my legs. I'm going to work out. I'm going to charge the vibrator, the lubes on the nightstand. The kids have a babysitter, right? And we know we're going to have that connection and it's going to feel great. And to me, that's how you create the excitement and the mystery in that way of just like, we're actually having sex that feels great to both of us. We have enough time, we have enough energy. And it's just, you know, maybe it's before dinner even. Like, you're like, well, then we go on date night and we're exhausted or we're drunk or we ate too much. <laughs> have it before dinner. You know, just, just, so that, that's, that's one thing. And I can give examples from my relationship, you know, like with, with my partners and my partner, my partner now we talk about a lot and it's really fun to think about he listens to my show you know like oh what about that thing or that new toy that came in the mail or you know we'll go what should wear that thing or what are we going to do tonight or what do you think about last night and it just it's like and i get people are saying well that's your job and it's but i'm but i'm i'm not the only one i hear from listeners all the time who are like emily thank you you taught us that it just becomes another thing we talk about like it's another thing like where are we going to go for dinner what are we going to do after it's like what kind of sex could we have are we going to have sex tonight and then you having sex and then you can be present and you know what's happening and you could have, you know, figure out your turn on and your arousals. And it's, I just think it, it makes it less messy, actually. Just even the idea of thinking that scheduling sex, it can be so hot and can help you let go of some of the tension around, are we not doing it today? Are we trying to, we have to, now I'm rejecting you again. And like all that resentment and instead of thinking of scheduling sex as a depressing idea of like soccer practice, sex, carpool, it's a sexy idea that is actually going to help build up the conversations and the anticipation. And it's also just like more realistic. So. Because <laughs> you know, here's the other thing. It's the way we think about sex, if you think about it, it's so unrealistic. Yeah. We, we all sex away from health and wellness when in fact it should come under the umbrella of health and wellness because mm. it, like I was saying, all these things contribute to us. If we're not having health and sex, it's going to impact us and all the things that matter for a healthy life impact your sex life. But also it's so siloed that, yeah, we just kind of like close our eyes, get the bedroom, get naked, hope for the best. But like, if we bring it in, like, let's, let's like figure it out. Let's troubleshoot it. Like everything else. Like we don't just become healthy. We don't just get in shape. Right, mysteriously, mm -hmm. like you know what we need to do in the sex. I want people to think about sex in the same way without all the like mystery, right? Like, try to like, quiet. 
like you're either you've got it or you don't. And that's so, so hopeless and unrealistic. So now you talked about arousal. I'm so excited to have it. (laughs) And and people can listen to endless episodes of your your podcast, maybe the longest running podcast I've ever heard of, right? Yeah, 18 18 years. I know. That's crazy. Like I've full on had a full life. I've grown up. I've had really, I've been through it all. Yes. Like 18. People have grown up on it too, but yeah, 18 years. So there's so much that people can get from you. And it's so exciting that they can access, like they can listen to this and then there's just endless stuff. But for now, I really want to talk about how can we leave here with just some concrete tools for giving and receiving oral pleasure. And I love how you actually are like, these are tools you can use. This is something that you can do that might feel good. I think that's really helpful. Yeah, I love it. Because let me just remind you that if we're not having orgasm through penetration, how mo- the majority of women are, are is through oral sex, so through fingers, mouth, and toys. That's just how it's happening. So that's why I love this, this conversation about oral sex. So do you want me to break it down between like, if you have a penis or if you have a vulva or just general oral no, sex? No, I think... Very specific. If you have a penis, if you have a vulva, and I love that you mentioned vibrators and full disclosure, that is not something that I know anything about. And you've mentioned like the only reason I've even thought about it or considered it is because of you, because frankly, that feels like like another thing. (laughs) But I wouldn't even know what to do with it, especially because what the reason why I'm bringing this up is because you talk about like not just using it by yourself, but using it with your partner and mm-hmm. not just using it on a vulva, but also using it on a penis. And I was just like, yes. I am not as well-versed in this world as I thought I was. Well, okay. Again, most people are not. This whole notion that we're just supposed to orgasm through a penis or a mouth, what, you know, it's, it's, we, we might, but most women don't, like I said. But a vibrator is just there's just things that our body parts can't do. And the vibrations, like you're covered in nerve endings, right? And it feels great with some lubricant and a vibrator. And it's just another way to feel pleasure. And it's a lot quicker. And if we don't have time, Mm. bring out the vibrator. So yes. And also the shaft of the penis feels great with a vibrator on it. And I'm talking about, I used to have some vibrators, like a little handheld vibrator, like the size of like a the size of like a golf ball in your hand, maybe even smaller than that, like a ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. And it vibrates. You just hold it in your hand and you rub it on your part, you rub it on your clitoris. You, it's just, I think it's just a, it's a really fun way to amp up any oral fun. So I would say for a penis, a big thing is you want to be wet enough. That's why I love the flavored lube. You want to be into it, like enthusiasm. Like if you just want, and this is maybe not as specific as you want, but I could go there. But I really think it's enthusiasm, like showing like you're into it. You're making noises. You're sucking it. You're looking into their eyes. I mean, I I, mean, I just think that nobody, and the same goes for a vulva owner. You don't want your partner to be like dead in the eyes, like just like they're doing something like, okay, I'm going to get this over with. <laughs> you want to think your partner is, is into it. And, I, and in my book, in the oral sex chapter, I made a big point of covering receiving because for a lot of vulva owners, they actually don't. There's a few reasons why, but they don't feel great receiving because they don't like their labias. They feel like it's, it, they smell or it's just, there's something wrong with it. Or they feel like their partner doesn't really want to be doing it. Or they know it's going to take a little bit of time. And then their partner's like the one like wonder. And then they come up, you're like one lick. Like you could have gotten a glass of water in that time. That did zero things for me. So it just, <laughs> you gotta take some time. So, so, okay. So going down, you know, you're, you're, you're going slow, you're licking. So let's talk about the vulva, going down in the vulva. You don't want to go right for it, the vulva. I think you want to tease, tease the, the thighs, the inner thighs. You know, the labia also has a lot of nerve endings in it. The clitoris is, is you know, we often think it's a little butt above the vaginal opening, but it has a, well, actually 12,000 nerve endings. When I was writing my book, it came out that, yes, you know, we don't study women yeah. ever. God forbid. <laughs> Like literally zero times, I, I but zero anything. But for years, we've all been like sex education eight thousand nerve eight thousand has twelve thousand wow. because the first study was done on a cow. 
So now there's 12,000 nerve endings, but it's not just that bud. And I want, really want women to know that it like literally has legs called the crua and they extend deep behind our labia. So it can be stimulating all those ways. So you want to like use light touch in your mouth, like fingers and hands and, and go, go slow and lick around, massage the thighs, tease. I think for many women, like breath and like breathing over the clitoris and different different sensations can feel really good. And also everyone's different. So you really just want to pay attention and ask your partner, you know, what, what feels good to them. So I think some people like fingers, some don't, some like toys, some don't. I think licking slowly around in circles or using like different sides of your tongue and not so fast. Like I think if we say don't stop, we don't mean go faster. Mm. <laughs> like feels for men. You could try like sucking on the clitoris or blowing on it like lightly. That could feel really good. Yeah. Using your breath and your tongue can feel really hot. But again, I hate to say like, we're all so different. Like it's, there's someone who it's painful to receive oral sex or they only want it with a finger and a little bit of like, and some women don't want a finger. So it's hard to say what the main things are, but I think, which is why I'm a huge fan of masturbation, whether we're in a relationship or not, because we can really learn our bodies and what feels good and then explain that to a partner. So teasing, going slow, I would say in a vulva for a penis, your hands are a big part of it. I often hear from women are like, oh, my mouth is so tired. It's like, you want to have a tight grip. You want enough pressure on the shaft. So again, you can use your hands and your mouth, the tip and the frenulum are the most sensitive. The frenulum is the underside of the penis where the tip meets the shaft. And it's actually, if it's, if somebody is circumcised, it's where the foreskin used to be. Or if they're not circumcised, it's where the foreskin still lives. But that little spot, if you lick it, you play with it with a vibrator, your mouth, that can feel really good too. Play with the perineum. You know, that could feel really great. We all have perineums, but especially if you're with a male partner, you could get into prostate play. Maybe that's part two, but men have a prostate and in their anus, women do not, although anal sex can feel good for us too. And so no matter what your orientation or gender orientation, it can feel great for men to even just your perineum, which is in between your, your anus and your, you know, the taint, right? Yeah, your anus yeah. and your, essentially, if you just apply pressure there, when you're giving a blowjob with the hand, like just pressure, you indirect stimulation to the clitoris. So that can also feel, give a lot of pleasure to many, many men because they can have incredible orgasms with prostate stimulation, either direct or indirect. What I'm imagining happens, and this is not my area of expertise at all, but what I imagine happens is that you end up, time goes by, time goes by. Now you've had kids. Now time goes by and more time goes by. So like, how do you say, actually, I have not enjoyed that ever. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, like I've been faking that orgasm this whole time, or I've been dreading that moment, but I really could enjoy myself. But how do you start that conversation when so much time has passed and mm -hmm. you didn't realize all this time could pass and here you are. And I think when you talk about these things, it allows us to realize, listen, we also evolve and change and we're going to need to figure out what feels good depending on the time in our lives. And maybe that was something that was pleasurable earlier and maybe it's not now, but more often than not, what I hear is women are like, I didn't care as much before. Right. And I kind of feel like part of the reason why this conversation feels so important after you've had kids and you're feeling like, Ugh, is it even worth this time is because it is, but you just have to make it worth this time. So these mm -hmm. details that can get kind of brushed to the side or seem not important to your point are about our wellness. They're about our health and thriving. So let's like embrace that. Our bodies and our desires change decade to decade, mm. sometimes year to year, sometimes month to month, sometimes week to week if we're menstruating. So I want to normalize that as well, that what you might have felt like, I used to run marathons in my twenties. Like I'm not doing that anymore to get in shape. Right. Like, right. like I used to, there's like, like this is changing just because you like things. So it's okay to say to your partner, you know, I realized that when we were younger, I didn't really know my body. I wasn't prioritizing sex. The truth is there wasn't information. Like 18 years ago, there was Dr. Ruth and our bodies ourselves, but there wasn't any information about sex at all. And that's what I started this podcast because 
And I wasn't the expert. I went back to school and got my doctorate while I was doing this, but I, I didn't know. And I was like, hi. So what I'm saying is I wanted to let everyone know that it's okay. Unless you look for this information or you're listening to this podcast, it's not going to like come across. You're not going to pick up, read it in a magazine. Like it's, we don't read magazines anymore, but you might not find it online. Like it just, so it takes work. Yeah. We have to like excavate this. We have to commit to it. So I think it's okay to say, you know, I'm learning more about human sexuality right now. And I used to feel shame about this, but I know as my partner and my lover, we want to be the best we can to each other. And I realize I have a lot more to learn about my body. I thought I was having orgasms, but apparently I really wasn't. There's new frontier. I've learned that there's new ways to, to orgasm. Would you be willing to play? Would you be willing to start today? And that's why I wrote this book too, because I really believe that you guys, I know that you could pick it up, spark sex from anywhere you're at and it will meet you where you're at on whatever journey. Like, I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, but that's too advanced and too whatever. Like literally it starts with like the basics, like it starts with these like pillars. It starts with these pleasure things too. Like what's keeping us from pleasure. And I think that's important. Like it's shame. Like we didn't even talk about shame. Yeah. If you grew up in an environment that it was wrong to be sexual, even our generation, like don't show that you're into sex or keep your numbers down for the people you slept with, or you can want it, but not too much, or be a freak in the sheets and a lady in the streets and all the things that, or you grew up in a religious environment where it wasn't okay to be sexual. That stuff doesn't just melt away because you're older now. Like you still hear those messages that having sex for anything other than procreation, for example, is wrong. So, you know, we got to unpack shame. We got to unpack trauma. We got to unpack, you know, anxiety and stress. Those are also big killers of our sex drive. So like it's all related to why we don't want to have sex anymore. If we are stressed out all the time and our body's constantly in fight or flight and we have the spikes of cortisol that cancels out our arousal mechanisms completely. So we have to also, then that's always surprising to people too, because we've siloed sex as a mystery. But it's not that mysterious. If I'm telling you, you're living in a state of stress and height. Right, of course. You're not turned on. There's your blood flow is going to your head, not to your genitals. You know, it's like, we got to just, I just want people to have the knowledge so we can kind of work around it and hack it for real. That's such a good point. I mean, a lot of the things that you're talking about are true when you're interacting with your kids, with other people, but like, they're just not about sex. But if you have a stress response, you don't learn, you can't be open to things. So it makes sense. It stands to reason that you also are not going to be sexually aroused because it would be maladaptive for your body to put energy there when it needs to be in its heightened stress response. So exactly. I, I had not thought about that. You did mention the faking orgasms and that you wanted to circle back on that. Is that something that you found is just a, a lifestyle? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's funny to say because I opened my book, my first chapter, I talk about that I was faking orgasms till I was 35. Oh my God. I basically faked orgasms in, in, in every relationship and I could only have it with a vibrator, but I didn't bring the vibrators in the bedroom and I I mean, because I didn't know any, I started this at 35. So, you know, 18 years ago, I was pretty much faking them. And so, yeah, I think it's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> it is. It's like, I'm never going to have one. I don't know how to have it. And sex was more performative, right? I was having performative sex. I thought sex was good if my partner got off. Yeah. I looked and I arched my back and moaned and yes. and You know, not that I didn't have pleasure. Like I love kissing and cuddling and all that. But the sex part, I was like, when is it going to be over? And when is it going to stop pounding away? Like a jackhammer. So I had to learn. <laughs> I had to learn how to have orgasms, how to ask for them, how to work with a partner. So yeah, people do it. I, I don't do it anymore. I think it's really common, but again, it's a disservice to ourselves, a disservice yeah. to our partner. You know, but again, I think as women, a lot of us we've just been raised like it's it's not okay, especially not okay for us to talk about it. We actually don't understand why we're not orgasming. Like I thought I was broken that I wasn't orgasming through penetration. I thought that every woman orgasmed through penetration. And so it's for me stand to reason that I had to fake it because I broke it. But then you come to find out that only like 20% of women do, which again, I literally want to buy billboards across the country that tell women this so they don't feel that way because I know that they still do because I hear from them every day. So then I had to learn like, well, what does work for me, right? And that was practice and that was work on my own and that was masturbation and fingers and toys and talking to partners and 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 allowing my partners to please me, even if it takes 20 minutes. And blowjobs have the best PR machine in the world and kind of, you know, oral sex on a woman does not. <laughs> so like, Say more. Well, like blowjobs, like, like, oh my God, you got to give a blowjob. If I give a blowjob, like literally, and this is what kills me. Like I have all my young nieces and their friends and they're just like, 
you know, Aunt M, like their first question always like, how do I give a good blowjob? To be honest, when they got to be that age and I was just like, I know you all want to know that. And what kills me is that it hasn't changed that much. But also, how do you have orgasms? How do you please yourself, right? Like, and all my friends' kids, how do I give blowjobs? So blowjobs have like this, you have to give a blowjob. We have to do it because that's that's like every, you can't have sex without a blowjob. Like you hook up with someone, you give them a blowjob, right? You're right. But that's I would think where if we don't do that, She Comes First is a wonderful book by Dr. Ian Kerner. And he wrote it like 20 years ago. I remember that book. <laughs> he's amazing. And he's in New York. He's a therapist. He's fucking fantastic. And he literally is like, you know, you're going to come. She comes first, figure it out. So I'd like to say like, go down on her and we have to be open to receive because if you do, she's more likely to orgasm if she's also open to receiving it. Right. And like normalizing that. And I always tell guys, if you're going down on a woman, like the best thing you can say is like, don't go anywhere, babe. We've got all night, like get comfortable. I love the way you smell. I love the way you taste. We're not going anywhere. And then we're like, oh, okay. Okay. Let me like relax and feel my way into it. So I would like to normalize that she comes first, that we go down on her first because you're going to get your blow jobs and you're going to get your sex and let's start there. I believe that everybody can learn to change up their sex life and learn to get back into the game, if you will, if they want to with a willing partner. And I think that people can remove the blocks and learn to experience pleasure. And I want people to think about pleasure is productive. Like it actually does help us be better humans. And pleasure is presence too. So if you're working on mindfulness, like we are, when we're really present, like the right kind of pleasure, not numbing pleasure, but pleasure is like being present with your partner, with yourself. And it's just a really important part of our overall mental health, physical health. And to consider it as such that it makes sense to prioritize it. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.